Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 18? I'm going to review what we looked at last time straight through, maybe with a comment or two that will help carry us into where we want to be today, which actually begins in verse 39 and carries us on into John 19 and uh, verse 15, I think. But I feel compelled to first go to the Old Testament. There are three major prophecies regarding the suffering of Christ. The world and all of its leaders and all of the soldiers of the militaries and all of the religious leaders of the world, they were bound by the determinate will of God to fulfill God's will, word, and purpose. Human will is absolutely subject to divine determination. The meticulous things that are recorded here, things that we've looked at, things that we'll look at again. But I want to uh, go back first of all uh, in Isaiah 53 I'll just start with verse 1 and go down for a few verses who has believed our report and the arm of Yahweh to whom to whom the arm of Yahweh has been revealed. I'm reading it from the Hebrew text. For he shall grow up as a tender plant before him and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor, I think it's translated in most as comeliness. He has no, there's, there's nothing about, he has no attractiveness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And so we hid our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. We did not think highly of him. Surely he has carried or carried up or borne up our griefs and our sorrows. Carried and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. For the chastisement of our peace 
was laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one to his own way. We have turned. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he uh, opened not his mouth as a lamb to the slaughter. He was led. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's Isaiah 53. Now, let me go to Psalm 22. This is the psalm that begins with the phrase that Christ cries out on the cross. My God, I cry in the daytime. It starts in uh, the first verse. Eli, Eli, Lamach, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? So I go down, let me go down just a little bit from there. And uh, I'll just, I don't, <laughs> I don't have verse numbers like you do here. Um, so I'll just jump in here right here. They cried to you and were delivered. That is our fathers. In you they trusted and were not ashamed. And then the messianic cry. But I'm a worm. I'm not a man. I'm a man of reproach despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me and they shoot out the lip and shake the head saying, he trusted in Yahweh. Let him rescue him. And that's what they said. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on the breasts of my mother. Upon you I was cast from birth, from womb, from the womb of my mother. My God, you have been, uh, you have been my God. Be not far from me. For... Trouble is near. There's none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Mighty bulls of Bashan have circled me. They gape at me with their mouths open like a raging lion who roars. I'm poured out like water and I'm out of joint. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart has melted like wax within me. It's dried up like a a pot's herd, my strength, my tongue clings to my jaws and to the dust 
of death you have brought me. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count my bones. They look at me and stare. They divide my garments among them. And they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Yahweh, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Hasten to help me. And it goes from there. That's Psalm, Psalm 22. Finally, in Zechariah 12, um, and I will, and I will pour on the house of David. Now, let me say this. In our text, we're going to see that the ones who deliver Jesus over to Pilate and who cry for his crucifixion are the leaders of the Jews. And the crowd then, the mob begins to grow and all of the crowd there, the, the Israelites, the Jews who are there, cry out for the crucifixion of Jesus. So, they, um, they became guilty of the very blasphemy that they were charging Jesus with. In another gospel, where I think it's in Matthew, the, 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 the cry at this time cries out, we want Barabbas, we don't want him. We have no king but Caesar. Let his blood be on us and on our children and on their children. Of course, indeed, that judgment fell upon the Jewish people for a long time until they are saved. And the day of the salvation of Israel is probably not very far away. So then from Zechariah chapter 12. Now this is at the last time when the Gentile armies of the Antichrist are invading Jerusalem, pillaging the land, killing the people and ravaging the women. This is the promise and prophecy of that time. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And he goes on and describes in detail how the people grieve first as a nation and then as family groups and then as individuals. Such a great grieving and mourning in the land 
because, at that time because of what they did to him at this time. We have to then observe the point that the determinate will of God is to send his perfect lamb to the cross. It's the time of Passover. It is the very time, entering into the very time when Passover lambs, the people having made preparation, will begin to slaughter those lambs. Very time. Thus Jesus prayed in John 17 in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Now, let me go back, again lay this foundation because it's really all one of greater, uh, greater context that we try to keep together. So beginning in verse 28, they led Jesus from Caiaphas, Caiaphas to the Praetorium. He's coming before Pilate. Pilate, I hope that you'll see three things about Pilate in the course of this scripture. Number one, Pilate the person. Pilate was appointed to this position by Tiberius Caesar. He stayed in this position as the prefect or the praetoria, the governor of uh, Judea for some years, about 10 years or so. And he had not done well in other places where he had served in leadership. So they, so they promoted him to Judea, which is the worst place in the world. This is like, this is worse than the armpit of the world. It's something else of the world. And this, and this is where he goes to serve. So it's, it's not a very um, flattering place to be a Roman official. He's, he's kind of on... Uh, thin ice here anyway. So they're, they're watching him from Rome, see what kind of work he does. History tells us that when he first came into Jerusalem and uh, set up his various places of, of uh, judgment and rule, he came in with a, uh, a, a Roman entourage all of whom the soldiers had, had, had uh, shields with the image of Caesar in those shields. History teaches us that the Jews pitched a fit. This was idolatry. They could not put up with this. So he decided, well, if that's the way you feel, he brought out banners that they could carry above their shields and the banners had the image of Caesar on them. The Jews were so frenzied over idols coming into Jerusalem that they hounded Pilate and his entourage everywhere they went and the groups would swell in numbers and they surrounded at a particular time, they surrounded Pontius Pilate and his group. They were screaming and, and uh, losing their minds. 
And Pontius Pilate says, I'm going to draw the sword and lop your heads off. And the Jews there, according to history, pulled back their robes and bared their necks and told him to go ahead that they would rather be dead than to allow idols into Jerusalem. Word got to Caesar. Caesar sends back word to Pontius Pilate. Give them shields without Caesar's image and take those banners down. I don't want an insurrection. Rome in its day tried to be as fair as possible in the outlying areas that they had conquered. And they allowed, to some degree, to an extent, they allowed local rule. And they tried to let the people follow uh, their local traditions and uh, culture. So what Pontius Pilate had done when he first came in was he just made everybody mad at him, including Caesar. So he had to back off of that. And then there was a thing about a water system that he was trying to build and things didn't work out right. And so there were two major things that had worked against Pontius Pilate and the people didn't like him and they were almost on edge all the time, ready to rebel in a major way against Rome because of Pontius Pilate. Now that's, it's not in the Bible, but it's in history books. So Pilate is walking on this thin ice with these people. He came up through the ranks in uh, the military and he is a staunch believer in Roman law and doesn't see how he can compromise Roman law so that it satisfies Jewish law. He had a hard time with that. This is, this is the situation that Pontius Pilate finds himself in. Now it was early. They entered not into the praetorium so they wouldn't be defiled and, and so they could eat the Passover later in the day. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation to bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if he were not doing evil, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. Now I have a lot of green in the underlined areas of the slides. And the green references how the divine will and, and sovereign purpose of God are never stopped. Divine sovereign will. And it's marked out in green. They had no charge to bring him. We saw this last time. But they brought him anyway because they didn't like him. And two or three weeks ago, we talked about how the Jewish religion with the high priests that had been appointed by Rome were making a lot of money through their religion. They were having to share that money with Roman rulers in and around the area. So Pilate is just not free to do everything that he wants to do. Pilate, now there's the word therefore. You'll see that a lot. Therefore, 
means that to me, that's, that's just a divine intervention. Therefore, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves. Judge him according to your law. Now he could do this. The, the local people did not have the right to um, place capital punishment on someone that belonged to Rome. But if the local leader gave them that authority, they could do it. Judge him according to your law. So Pilate's mind is gripped to follow the will of God. Now, I, 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 don't, have to, I don't want to have to go back and re-preach three or four other messages, but remember, Christ, I saw a thing on Facebook, I think I may have shared it, but I liked it. When Christ went to the cross, he carried names with him. Mine was one of them. Nothing is going to stop my Lord from covering my sin and saving me. I told you last time, this is extremely personal to me. God is seeing to it. The Father is seeing to it that the Son whom he sent will do what has been covenanted between the Father and the Son. He will save me. So, take him yourselves, judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, it's not permitted for us to put someone to death, that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled which he had spoken, signifying what death he was about to die. Now that goes back to what I had just read from the Old Testament, plus what Jesus himself had said about he would be crucified. Therefore, Pilate, there's the word therefore, entered again, sovereign will of God. It's not supposed to take these Roman judges who, absolute, who have absolute rule, these governors, it's not supposed to take them very long to make up their mind. The law is very clear. But he entered into the praetorium again and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this to yourself? Or did others say it to you concerning me? Is this something from them? Is this a charge against me from Rome? Or is this something that was said about me from the Jews? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your nation and chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? So, wanting Jesus killed and not willing to kill him themselves, they bring Jesus to Pilate, whom they expect to be an executioner, not just a judge. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my attendants would fight that I might not be betrayed to the Jews. Now, however, my kingdom is not from here. We talked about that. Therefore, there's that word again, Therefore, Pilate said to him, then you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world 
that I may bear witness to the truth. Everyone being of the truth, here's my voice. We spent some extensive time on that last time. Pilate said to him, what is truth? We talked about that. And having said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now, Pilate says this several times. He's not, Pilate is there for Roman law. He's not there for Jewish law. He's there for Roman law. The governor, the expert of Roman law, says he's not guilty. There's nothing he's done. However, remember the divine purpose. Remember Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 14. However, it is a custom with you that I should release one of you at the Passover. Therefore, do you wish that I release to you the king of the Jews? So, his appeal is to the people and surely what their desire would be because the other choice would be Barabbas. Then they cried out again saying, not this one, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was an insurrectionist. The word in the Greek text right up here, uh, Let's taste. The, the word means that he was a violent criminal uh, who, who violently preyed on the people. So he had everything that he did was against everybody's law. It was against the Jewish law, it was against the Roman law. And they're bringing Jesus before Pilate as though Jesus was a threat. The real threat was Barabbas, not Jesus. So it seemed to Pilate to be a very clear choice. The man who has healed you and raised your dead from the grave, the man who hasn't stolen anything, he has not preached an insurrection, nor has he preached an uprising. He's done no violence he stands here before you, and here's this other guy. What is your desire? Give us Barabbas. In keeping with the Old Testament prophecy regarding the horrible rejection of the Old Testament people, of their Messiah, and their true king. Therefore, there's that word again, Therefore, at that time, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, scourged him, flogged him. Now, you've heard a lot of descriptions about the scourging. The, a club about half the length of a baseball bat. The leather thongs that were there and the sharpened lead and sharpened bone and sharpened brass that filled up those thongs. And then they would stretch the victim as far as he could be stretched. They would either hang him from a pole so that his feet didn't quite touch the ground and he would be stretched out or they would lay him face down on a table and stretch him out 
or they would tie him to a pole and tie his feet to a pole and then make sure that in the lifting of his hands, he was tied tightly enough so that his body was completely stretched. Thus, the maximum amount of pain could be implemented. It was a horrible thing. Historical descriptions have been given of a Roman flogging. Now, in Leviticus, the law said that the Jews, when flogging someone, could not go as many as 40 stripes. So they could go 39. But there's, there's nothing here. The Romans do not follow Jewish law, so they will, they will flog him as long as they want to. Of course, the flogging would rip the flesh and so forth and exposed, or it would expose the organs of the inside and expose the bones. Terrible, terrible thing. Maybe they would decide that uh, they were tired of looking at rib bones and they wanted to see the pelvis or they wanted to see the thigh bones. They just keep ripping that thing on the flesh until they were through with whatever they wanted to do as horribly as they wanted to do it. That's what they did. Now, having suffered that, the soldiers, having twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, cast a purple robe around him, came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they kept giving him blows with the palms of their hands. So they were beating him. His face was bleeding and swollen. You get the picture. You understand how horribly he looked. They were mocking Judaism and they were mocking uh, the belief in a Messiah and dragging him out. Pilate again went forth outside, said to them, Behold, I bring him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. There it is again. Therefore, Jesus went forth outside wearing the thorny crown and the purple robe, and he said to them, Behold the man. So Pilate says, Look at this pitiful, torn up hunk of flesh. Why, you probably wouldn't have even recognized him. Behold the man, here's your threat to Rome. Here's your king, the one you're so afraid of. Here he is, look at him. Behold the man. Pilate would have thought that that would have been enough so that the people would not go any further and they would just sort of walk off and forget the whole thing. But no, there's the word again, therefore. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, and this is the second time he gives them the right to kill him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, let me, let me appeal to the other three gospels, the synoptic gospels, and what we see here and what we find out in the whole account is that the Jews brought seven indictments against Jesus. There was no proof or evidence or support for any of the first six. But going back to when he stood before Caiaphas, and that was in another gospel, Caiaphas asked him, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? 
And Jesus said, yes, I am. And someday you'll see me coming in glory. Oh, and the high priest got all upset, tore his robes. And they all started crying along with the Sanhedrin. They all started crying that he was blaspheming because he made himself to be God. So here was the indictment. And it's funny. The only indictment that was brought against him was true. He is the son of God. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, between that and here, Pilate's wife, another gospel account, had a dream. And she said, this whole thing upsets me. You got to let that guy go. This is not going to turn out very well. So he has this upsetting discourse from his wife about her dream. He has himself proclaimed the innocence of Jesus. Matthew's gospel says that Pilate understood the envy that the Jewish leaders had against Jesus. Pilate knew what the whole thing was about. He was trying to get out of it and trying to just let Jesus go. But you also have to understand, having heard this and having heard his wife's dream and having heard the accounts, surely, of all that Jesus had done, miracles and so forth, his superstition kicked in. He was, after all, a Roman. And... Romans worshiped a plethora of gods and they came up reading their stories about the sons of the gods, Hercules and all that bunch. And thinking then of how his wife had had a dream and surely thinking of all of the reports that he had had of all that Jesus had done his superstition kicks in. He went into the praetorium again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. Now surely this would feed the fear of Pilate even more. I'm in the presence of a son of the gods. What will he do? What can he do? Jesus did not give him an answer. Now, at that point, Pilate said, there's that word again, therefore, Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would not have authority at all against me if it were not given to you from above, this whole thing is in accord with the divine and determinate will and purpose of Almighty God, and it is inescapable. Nothing in the world, not Rome, not the Jewish religion, not any religion, not all of the religions combined, not all of the armies combined, not all of the kings and kingdoms combined are going to keep Christ from the cross because of me. 
and what he promised and accepted from the Father before the foundation of the world. I told you last week, this whole thing is very personal to me. Very personal. You only have this authority because heaven has granted you this authority. And because of this, the one having delivered me up to you has greater sin. In another, well, I'll say that in just a minute. Pilate was seeking to release him out of this, but divine intervention, but the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you're not a friend of Caesar. Everyone making himself a king speaks against Caesar. So that made Pilate afraid because he wasn't on the best of terms with Tiberius anyway. Therefore, there's that word again, Pilate, having heard these words, brought Jesus out and sat down upon the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatah. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. We go all the way back to the Old Testament, the first Passover, and all the Passovers since then, including the one that was going on right then, preparing all the preparation. And then the Passover lambs to be offered. What was said of Jesus by John the Baptist on the first day when Christ came into the water for John's baptism? Behold the Lamb of God. It takes away the sin of the world. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. Now we have, represented in Rome, the Roman leader, we have Gentile power. Represented in the Jewish leaders, especially in the chief priest. Represented there. False religion. All joined together, like, like in the Revelation, when Gentile power rides the prostitute, which is a sign of the joining of Gentile power and false religion in order to control people, which is antichrist. It is anti-God. It comes together here. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this is Satan's hour. Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. In the previous gospel, not the gospel of John, they cry out. 
let his blood be on us and on our children and on their children. They rejected the Messiah, the king. Daniel said that Messiah, at the close of the 69th seven-year period, prophesied in Daniel for the, for the Israel, for, for the Jewish people of Israel. The 69th seven-year period would close with the murder of Messiah. And then the 70th seven-year period, the last of the seven-year periods, would come at some other time, and that's, of course, the tribulation. And so, it aches our hearts to think of what the Jewish people have been through in their history. They're hated They're hated today in the United Nations. They're hated by people who surround them and who shoot missiles at them for no apparent reason. And they're hated if they defend themselves. They're hated. It would be a time of trouble. And the time of Jacob's trouble, the great trouble, would come in that final seven-year period from which they would be delivered by the returning Christ. Christ the Lamb of God, Christ, the King of Kings, whom, as we saw in Zechariah, they would acknowledge. We pierced him. We nailed him to a cross. He came to us, and we killed him. Rome and Judaism come together so that the nations of the world and even the Jewish people came together in the rejection of Jesus and in nailing him to the cross. But I told you a few weeks ago, and we saw it in the scriptures in in an earlier passage in John, what we view from here sometimes as a tragic thing, was actually a glorious thing. Remember where the Bible said that the Father viewed all of this as glory. This is wonderful glory that Christ, he said, I came for this. We saw it a while ago. This is why I came. You don't know it, Pilate, but I came so that you, in conspiracy with them, would condemn me to a cross and not to stoning, because I have prophesied that I would be lifted up. I would not be cast down, that all of the words of Jesus might be fulfilled, and he did it for me and for all of those who are in Christ. We have no king but Caesar. And Caesar has sought their destruction in every generation since then. God does not permit it. Because in the preservation of these people, God proves himself and proves his word 
to be true and finally will deliver them in salvation as we saw in Zechariah chapter 12. Paul says, it's in Romans 9, 10, 11, and all Israel will be saved. But between that day and that day, there is this day. So that Christ's death on the cross serves to deliver both Jew and Gentile. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Christ died for his church. The divine sovereign will of God and my salvation because of what Christ did for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. And we cry out the gospel message to all who will hear. We are seeking out the whosoever wills. Because only God can cause that to happen. If you're here without Christ today, it is our prayer that you will not leave that way, but that you will be sensitive to the divine call of God to come to salvation. In just a moment, we'll stand, we'll be dismissed, and as we're dismissed, right across the hall in rooms, you'll see them standing in the doorways. We have deacons and their wives. They're there to pray with you to answer your questions, to read the Bible with you if that's what you want, to help you understand. If you know that God is calling you into, into the salvation of Christ, to help you know what God is doing. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian, God leads you to come and be a part of Shiloh. They are there as well to take care of all the details that need to be worked out if you want to come and be a member of Shiloh. You'll see them as you exit. For now, let's prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.